I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Carrie Schwab Pomerantz, Certified Financial Planner. Good to see you again. It's good to Always. see you again. And always fun to work with you. The we the last time we were together for our audience that has tuned into the Retire Sooner podcast, you may remember Carrie from Money Matters. Back a couple of years ago, you were in Atlanta. So I had the pleasure of meeting you in person. You were in the studio and we talked about your charitable work. And by the way, I ever since that interview, Carrie, I've been using Schwab Charitable Fund. So I actually, that's oh, the one I so use. Glad. And I think then it was an app and now it's all integrated with Schwab. And yep. so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a not only a, uh, a, I guess I'm also a, a user and I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Schwab Charitable too. So in all of your work. So Carrie, she's an author, personal finance expert, and really an advocate for financial literacy. Uh, also the book that keeps staying on the, on the top list, which is the Charles Schwab guide to finances after 50. You wrote that back in 2014, right? I think that's good memory. I think it was it's about then. <laughs> still going. It's yeah. still, you know, is there like, it, it just, it's, it's timeless advice. It's, it's an awesome book and I guess that's why people keep buying it. So, well, I, I wrote it in such a way where there are 50 questions and that way, people didn't feel overwhelmed by having to go at the beginning of the book and read 200 pages, right, to learn all about retirement. They could just slip in depending on the questions they have uh, on, you know, in the book to see what they can do or, I mean, to, to learn what they can do in that specific situation. And maybe that's why it makes it very consumable and you can kind of go to what you need. You're also the chair of the Boys and Girls Club, which is headquartered in Atlanta. And when did you start, when did you start that like fifth job of yours? Yeah, I, um, so I've been involved with the national board of Boys and Girls Club for quite a while, for about 10 years. And I was voted in as national chair, uh, effective January. And I have to say, I am so honored, excited to be, um, involved with this organization, which is the, um, uh, the, I think it's the largest youth agency in the United States, serving teens from, you know, inner city, rural areas, military, Native American land, up to 5 million children. And so, you know, it's, it's just really meaningful to, to be able to have a small impact on this organization. What do you do for, I guess, kids there? Do you have a financial literacy program through that too? Or are you doing something to that impact? Yeah, so about 20 years ago, when I took over the foundation, Schwab's corporate foundation, uh, I, I wanted to restructure um, it around financial literacy uh, for, and primarily for youth because the lack of financial literacy in this country cuts across Americans from all walks of life. You know, it's blind to socioeconomic status, gender, you know, race, ethnicity. And one way to really make a difference was to, to co-create with Boys and Girls Club this national financial education program, which is, you know, it's evolved over time. It's about 24 lessons now. But we're trying to give kids this the tools and resources to make good decisions right out of the gate. Um, and we've and we've had well over a million children go through the program. And we know those kids who go through Money Matters are more likely to seek out going to college. 
So we know with you know financial matters, financial literacy actually supports you know people in their lives, no matter whether it's you know college access, wealth e- equality, or um, even workforce readiness. It's really important for that as well. What age do they do that? It's money matters, which caught my eye. Yeah. But it's called make it count. Money matters, make it count. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's for ages thirteen to eighteen years old. And, you know, we try to make it fun. It's actually has always been one of the top growing programs at Boys and Girls Club. What I've learned through all my work is that young people really want to learn about finances, savings, budgeting, investing. They're very excited by it. So, you know, as a parent, it's also a great opportunity to get your kids in, you know, on the right foot. It is amazing just the inherent... I don't know, the, the impact of understanding money and how early kids latch onto that. My youngest just turned five. It's funny because he, it, it, this is like a half, six months ago, so he's still a four-year-old. He asked me, and I was putting him to bed one night, and he said, Dad, what if you had all the money in the world? What would you do first with it? You know, this is coming like from a four-year-old kid. I'm like, dude, where did wow. you get that, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's his older brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's uh, great. That's great. What'd I, you I tell think, him? What'd you tell him? First, I was like, what would you do? And he goes, Dad, I would buy a modern mansion. Yeah. And there's something <laughs> weird. And, and I realized what happened over the last like two years. Uh, when you have little kids, they spend more time on YouTube than you want them to. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, unless you cut off the internet connection. That's the Virtual only way gaming. to prevent it. And... The young YouTube stars that make money, all of them go out and buy these, what I would consider a modern looking mansion. So you got a bunch of 25 year old rich people in California buying modern mansions on the water. And that's what my kids see. They're like, oh, you make money on YouTube and you can buy a modern mansion. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) all right. Everybody, everybody can become a millionaire today. Um, I, I've written and researched for 20 years on the habits of happy retirees. What are those financial and consumer habits? And then how does that lead potentially to an earlier retirement or retire sooner? But I guess the first question I would have, that's maybe just more practical, how much do you need? How, How do you counsel people to know what, what is the amount? How much, what is, how do you approach what I think is a very simple, but not easy question to answer? Yeah, it's certainly not because it really depends on where you live and your current lifestyle. Mm. And I know, you know, you talked about the um, retiring early phenomenon. What do they call it? The FIRE group? Right. Um, FIRE is like, those are the folks that are like in there at 30, they say they're going to stop working. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, it depends. By the way, I love, I love you're basically giggled about that. Well, I, I know. Like, yeah, good uh, luck. Uh, good luck. Yeah, I think they don't use he- heaters and you know, right. they, you know, no cars and so forth. But you know, I, I, you know, it's admirable. I think uh, anybody in my mind who saves and invests early on um, and takes it seriously is, you know, is a hero in my mind because so few Americans. Um, are either not in a position, they don't feel they're in a position to do it, or they don't, you know, they think they'll get to it another time. But anyway, to answer your question, I'll, I'll share a rule of thumb, and it's a little bit, it's, 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 a, it's, it's difficult, so I'll try to go slow. Um, I call it the 25 rule. So basically what you need is, and again, it's a rule of thumb only, 25 times the amount you expect to spend annually at retirement. So let me give you an example. 
if you think you're going to live off $75,000 a year and you're going to get $25,000 from Social Security or other means of, you know, of income, but you need your, your savings, your portfolio, your 401k, whatever you have, to generate $50,000 a year, the, you know, the difference of, of um, everything else. What you do is you multiply that 50,000 times 25, and that comes to one point, one and a quarter million dollars. And I know for a lot of people, that is really a scary thought. Um, and so, uh, you know, what I would say to people is don't get discouraged. Uh, you know, start saving an early as soon as you can. You mentioned your four-year-old. He's maybe a little young to save for retirement. But when my kids were 16 and they got their first real jobs, I opened up Roth IRAs for them. So they know, I mean, it's starting at 16 that they have to save for the retirement. So as we know, the sooner you start saving and investing, the easier it is over time. Um, so, and, and again, I, I would sit down. It might be time to get some help from a professional or, or sit down and just really crunch the numbers. You know, Carrie, I love that way of looking at it. It's actually the inverse of the way yes, I look at it. But it's a little it's actually probably a better way of looking at it than the way I I talk about the four percent plus rule. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's really the four to really kind of four to four and a half. And it's a very dynamic rule of thumb. But to to maybe even think of it in more more straight in a more straightforward way or simpler way, if I'm thirty and I'm thinking, hey, I want to retire and I'm going to need 100000 from beyond Social Security and maybe I'll have yeah. a pension, maybe not. Then it's easy. 25 times that, two and a half million. Exactly. Done, right? Exactly. I mean, I love that way of looking at it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm just going to change my entire, I have a whole episode on the 4% rule. I'm going to have to scrap it. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can throw that in for some interest. Let's say you get to 50 and, 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 and you haven't saved. What? What do you do? Is game over? Or is is it Susie Orman time? You just have to work till you're 110. <laughs> well, I mean, definitely you need to do some soul searching. First of all, it's never too late to save. Let's just take a 50 year old for example. You can easily live till you're 80 years old, another 30 years or more. I have a great grandmother that lived to 107. Um, so, so you have you still have plenty of time to save. But you are going to have to do some soul searching, you know, and, and some planning. Uh, what I suggest is a great uh, exercise is uh, track your spending for one month time, everything, and then bucket each of the each of the expenditures in two categories, essential expenses, you know, like food, rent, utilities um, versus non-essential you know, sort of the fun stuff, things you could have or not have. And that's the bucket where you really could find places to cut back and save for retirement. Now, you know, and, and as you know, you can save up to, in a, with a 401k, up to $19,500. And, and if you can do that, by all means, you know, definitely go for it and take advantage of any company match if you do have a 401k. Now let's think about the folks that are listening to this. They're they're in the retire sooner mode, which in my mind is kind of somewhere in between the fire movement, which I think is usually not practical. Yeah. And the hey, I have to work forever. Or or to your point, many people in America don't even really get close to being able to think about this full financial yeah. freedom or retiring. So if you're somebody who wants to retire, in my book, 
50, 55 is pretty darn early retiree. And you've got to do a lot of things right to be able to be in a position that early on. Yeah. And what do you say to that group here? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of considerations to that. Uh, First of all, again, it's it's about crunching the numbers. You know, you know, equate it to, you know, an air, air, a pilot, an airline pilot. He's got to do a pre-check right before he takes off. So really see where you stand. Uh, in term financially, what is your net worth? What are you going to need um, to generate at retirement? So that's first and foremost. But but what people probably don't think about is that you are going to have to have more savings. Some of these rule of thumbs, like the four percent rule, the twenty five times rule, assumes a thirty year retirement. If you're if you're retiring at fifty and you're living till ninety ninety five, you're going to need more savings because you're going to have to cover more years of retirement. And then also uh, health insurance. A lot of people don't think about that. You know, obviously when you're 65, you have access to Medicare, but otherwise you're going to have to fund it yourself. Uh, so you got to add that into the, the mix. And then lastly, really the emotional and social uh, component of retiring. You know, are you ready to totally disengage or do you have a plan for how you're going to spend your time? Because that's, you know, happiness is what, you know, and, be, and having purpose is what creates longevity. And part-time work actually is a great alternative because you're still, you know, you're not depleting your your savings, your retirement savings, uh, you know, at quite the same rate. And you're getting, you're being engaged. What you just described, I call the financial gray zone, where you kind of have enough to retire, but it might just yeah. be too darn early. So if you can get into a position where, let's say you downshift your job to something more fun that you enjoy more, but it maybe pays a lot less, yeah. but as long as it's just enough to not have to really tap the savings at a certain time, and then maybe you do that for three to five years, to me, that's this retirement gray zone that is a, is a really nice first downshift before you're fully, fully stopped working. So I love that. Yeah, now, and Wes, I was just gonna, yeah. sorry, I was just gonna say also, you have more time for your money to grow. In, in your mm. particular situation, right? You're not yeah. depleting it. Um, if you're using, if you're earning just enough to live off of, let that, you know, let your portfolio, your 401k or your retirement account grow. Uh, Give it another know, assu- five years. Yeah. yeah. And assuming obviously if you have to have equities for sure, stocks in your portfolio. How about social? If I'm 50 today or if I'm 40 today, do I count on Social Security at 62, 65, or is it going to be gone? Is it going to be two-thirds of what it's supposed to be? I mean, what's your take yeah. on when to take it even? Yeah, well, of course, you know, I don't have the crystal ball, you know, about what's going to happen. But I have to believe, first of all, there's no way that Congress is going to let that go. There's just no way. Um, they'll be out of office soon. Uh, but but either either so, let's just say they change some of the rules. They're going to protect some of the people that are older, right? In terms of their benefits, they're not going to change the rules on them so quickly. But but Social Security is really actually an important consideration in your retirement plans. And um, so a lot again, a lot of people don't realize that this you can take Social Security out as early as sixty two. Um, but we know that the benefit. The monthly benefit will be greatly reduced. However, if you stick, uh, wait till you're 70 years old, uh, you ha- you can get a benefit about 76 percent more. So that's that's a pretty big difference. So if you're healthy and you're working and you don't need the money, by all means, wait until you're 70. 
Like um, for me, I'll probably wait till I'm 70 because I'm planning to live to 107 like my great grandmother. And, you know, but if you aren't healthy and you, you know, you are financially struggling, then you may, you know, need to tap into Social Security now. You mentioned this earlier as we started talking is I'm a big advocate of paying off a mortgage. That's one of the big financial checkpoints for the happy retiree. In fact, I have a chart that shows that as years to pay off mortgage go down, light of the end of the tongue gets bigger, right? Happiness levels literally go up. So it's yeah. actually one of my favorite charts. But do you think people should pay off the house and when? Or you mentioned different areas of the country are so different from housing costs. Like you're in San Fran, San Francisco, yeah. super expensive. Yeah. If you're listening to the Retired Student Podcast in, I don't know, if you're somewhere in Texas or Colorado, or I don't know, it's it may be a lot less expensive. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I um, did not realize that your study shows that, 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 that paying off your loan equates to happiness. That's very interesting. And that's really the, the emotional side yeah. of, of retiring, you know, the emotional side of money. Uh, but, but, there's, it, but that decision is, is twofold, quite frankly. It's not just how you're going to feel um, internally, but also how is it going to affect your finances? And uh, the unfor- what happens is, is you're taking money out of savings to put it to pay off your loan, which goes into your house. And your house is what we say is illiquid. It's not easy cash. It's no longer easy cash. So for somebody who doesn't have as much saved in retirement, and I'll just make this up, hopefully they'll have more, but let's say someone has $300,000 saved and they owe $100,000. Then, you know, they take, you know, then they deplete their savings by $100,000. They only have $200,000 to access during retirement. And that could be a potentially a scary situation. So, so liquidity first, uh, and then, you know, if you can pay it off, great. Yeah. Unfortunately, at Publix or Kroger, you can't pay for groceries with shingles from the house, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, it, the I think it's a good point of you've got to have a certain amount of liquidity in order to have the luxury, I think, of being able to have zero mortgage, which happy yeah. retirees certainly work towards. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about stocks for a minute. I mean, the 20 some years I've been doing this, we've had three major bear markets. COVID is still, you know, very fresh in the, in yeah. the world. That was a scary yeah. March of what? Oh, yeah. 2000. Yeah. And then we had the GameStop phenomenon where stocks mm-hmm. went through the roof and these yeah. crazy. I, I think that the question goes back to at different ages. What are your feelings on investing in equities? And then do you still invest in heavily in equities in your, in your 60s, 70s, 80s when you're fully in retirement? Okay. Well, Growing up with my father. <laughs> uh, well, let, did we forget to even mention that? I, I, I almost feel like that's a given, but, but tell everyone who, who your father is and, and make that connection for us, well, please. Um, my father is Chuck Schwab, Charles Schwab, who founded uh, Charles Schwab and Company. And actually, I started working there when I was 16. It was a total startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't in a garage, but it was a complete startup. And so I got to watch it grow to what it is today. And I'll just tell you. Back then, when you were 16, it was it literally like how many employees back then? I feel like 10, maybe. I it remember. total I, start. I, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you. So, well, first of all, um, yeah. So it was like two rooms. And 
one room was just a little conference room with an oval table and and each of the brokers had black rotary phones and then you had henrietta the um with the bouffant she was a switchboard operator switching in our client calls and as my dad said i was a file clerk and you know no one files anymore i was sitting in count applications in the file cabinet so that was my job. Um, but yeah, so long, long time ago. But, you know, you asked about equities and I, I'll just tell a cute story. Um, and this is for a younger crowd. But when I was in my early 20s, IRAs were just becoming prevalent. And I put in my $2,000 and I called my dad and I said, Dad, you think, um, you know, what should I invest my IRA in? And um, I was so disappointed with his answer, Wes. He told me to pick two equity funds, two stock funds. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought he was going to tell me the hot stock of the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I share that story because he, you know, that he's so right. It was a big lesson for me because investing is, of course, about diversification and and also long-term investing. And so I'm a big believer, you know, in ETFs, uh, mutual funds and and getting that easy, diver- inexpensive diversification. But anyway, that's what I tell all twenty year olds. Uh, yeah. You know, to pick some mutual funds or ETFs. That's what I tell my kids anyway. Um, but but it's right. I think the allure then, when you were twenty, is probably not that different than it is today. Right? It's probably even no. more, maybe slightly more alluring because you hear even more about hot stocks through the news and Reddit yeah. and. But it's still very much, if you were to project out another 20, what's the best course of action? It's probably the marathon route, right? And not the sprint. No, it's not. And, and, um, and, and you should always have equities in your portfolio. You mentioned about older people. We will tell our clients or anybody who asks in our education that, that people in retirement should also have 20% of, I say equities, which are stocks, a you know, diversified portfolio of stocks. And that's because of, of basically of infl- inflation. And well, you're saying at least a bare minimum 20%. Mm-hmm. So even very conservative investors that are in their 70s, 80s, still at least 20, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, clarify. if you're in your 80s or 90s, you might switch out. But if you're in 65, you should at least have 20% because you could live again another 30 years and purchasing, you lose purchasing power. So today, a yeah. hundred, you can't buy. I mean, today you would get a you know, bag of groceries. You will not be able to pay, get those same groceries in 10, 20 years, right? Because it'll be a lot more expensive. So you want your portfolio, you want your savings to grow and, and beyond inflation. So let's go to it. For, for most 20s, 30s, 40s, and really just for most of us, that pensions have gone away, right? Unless mm-hmm. you're still with a utility company or maybe you're a teacher mm-hmm. or government and you might still have yeah. a decent pension accruing. But really, the 401k has replaced that. And then that is the primary vehicle that Americans save in, right? Yeah. What if you don't have one of those? Yeah, so there's about a third of Americans who do not have access to a 401k. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I, you know, if I could, you know, um, wave a wand, we all would have a 401k because what I found is that so many Americans become first time investors because of a 401k. 
But the bottom line is, is we've got a lot of small companies that may think, you know, it's too complex, too expensive, which by the way, is, is not the case so much anymore. There are options out there for employers to adopt some type of retirement savings for their, their employees. But if you don't have one, like you've kind of alluded to it, Wes, um, we live in a world of doing it ourselves. We are required, responsible to save for our own retirement. It's no one else's responsibility. So the IRA is a great option, you know, where you get tax deferred growth, um, you know, and and uh, so it allows your money to grow f- faster than it would in a in a regular, more taxed account. Uh, and you can save up to six thousand uh, dollars a year, another thousand if you're over fifty. But to be honest with you, that's still not enough money to save. I mean, that's not enough. That's not going to get you to, you know, I'll call it your 25 25 X roll. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to have to save over and beyond. And and when I say save, I also mean investing. Otherwise, you will not get the growth um, that you need, you know, the compound growth that you need to um, retire comfortably. And that that goes back to your thought of, hey, either uh, either stock or fund. And the answer is probably whether it's stock or fund or ETF, it's it's really equities is really what you're talking about. And with diversification, obviously. Correct. Correct. Stocks. I mean, they're genetically engineered to grow. Bonds are not. Bonds are debt. And cash, you know, what is the interest rate? You know, whatever, half a percent, if that. So so you're just not going to get the growth. Okay, that's that is a keeper of a line, by the way. I'll use that forever. Which one? Genetically engineered to grow. Yeah. Actually, I got that one from my dad, actually. Okay, well, it's the third generation. I'll I'll keep, I'll say it's the Schwabs. Oh, you're sure? Okay, okay. (laughs) I got this from the Schwab family. I still get, well, let's just talk about Roth and regular for just a second. Yeah. The very, almost every day I get a question of, do I convert? You know, do I convert from the regular Roth to to, to a regular IRA to a Roth or Roth, Roth, Roth? Right, which sounds amazingly good. They're both, but they both they're very different, right? So, what are your yes. what's your take on these two? So, like you said, you know, it, you, there's a lot of debate uh, over do you do a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. Personally, I really like the Roth IRA, um, but let me take a step back. As you said, you know, they're fairly similar, but they have different tax rules. Uh, the the downside of a Roth IRA, which is the one I like, is you can't deduct your um, contribution at the time you make the contribution. So if you're making, you know, contributing $6,000, you cannot deduct it from your income, you know, while you, for when you're calculating how much taxes you owe. But, but when you retire, there, you are not um, ch- uh, charged income taxes, which we know is pretty high. So for instance, if you're lucky enough that your IRA's grown, grown, for, uh, you know, fair amount, uh, let's just say you're, it's generating $1,000 a month income. If you have a Roth IRA, you get the full $1,000. If you have a traditional IRA, you have to pay taxes. Let's just say 30%. I'd rather have the $1,000 than the $700 at time of retirement. Again, because you've, you, you don't have that steady stream of income anymore. And I just want a little bit more certainty. And then the conversion question, I guess, is even more complicated because it's so much about your personal taxes and whether you, yes. it's, to, it's taxes today versus taxes tomorrow. And 
we'll have to do a whole show here on the Retire Sooner podcast about the Roth conversion because it's pretty tricky. It's and very it's, tricky. It's very, very tricky. tricky. And it's it's so individualized. You, there's not a rule of thumb for, for that, really. I mean, I guess do you want, like you said, do you want to pay taxes now or later? But will you make up for those taxes? I don't know. Right. It's tough you know, to know. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with tax rates changing, right? And and if, yeah. if taxes go higher in the future, which I think it would you would think that that's probably the case. Again, we just talked about all the debt, but then who do they go higher for? Is it they go up, but is it only for those in the thirty-five plus percent tax bracket? And if that's the case, and you're not in that bracket, maybe the conversion doesn't make sense. So it's and, it's very it's very nuanced. Yeah, yeah we don't, you don't know. know. Yeah. Let's go back to financial literacy just for a minute. And I guess to some extent, that's why financial podcasts have become so popular is that there, it's a way to, to consume financial literacy that we all kind of need over and over and over again. And I think, yeah. I think of being in this business now for my entire career, I think of if I'm at, let's say I'm out of pocket for three days, literally days, I come back and I think, oh, wait a minute, I got a lot of catching up to do. So then I think about the folks that maybe are not even thinking about the markets and the economy and financial planning, and you're, and you're kind of not thinking about it. Then when you do, it's very ominous. So I guess to some extent what we're doing, and then the work that you do as an author in financial literacy, it's kind of like the vitamin C we need over and over and over again to stay kind of up to date with the world. So how do you approach financial literacy? You know, a lot of people hear financial literacy and they think, oh, that's for kids. They think, oh, that's just about learning how to budget and to uh, balance a checkbook. But as you say, as you say, life changes co- continuously. And um, for instance, you know, our goals, our goals change. And so I do totally there with you, Wes. It is a lifelong pursuit. Even you know, I know you. You're a learner. I'm a learner. We're, even those of us in the business have to learn uh, new things every day. Uh, But like I said, life changes. For instance, your 20s, your goals in your 20s are very different than your goals in your 40s versus your 60s, right? Um, In your 20s, you're maybe thinking about a house or just having fun. In your 40s, you're thinking about your kids and saving for their college and, and, you know, preparing for your future. And then, of course, your 60s is about retirement. Do I have enough money? Uh, to to retire, am I? You know, uh, do I have it all together? So it's it's a continuous learning, and um, I'm so glad that you have this podcast. And if I think, but I do believe that the earlier you start to teach people the language of money, the mm-hmm. easier it is. And that's why I'm out there advocating, trying to teach young people all over the country. It's about demystifying the language, having you know families talk more about money. And investing, so it's just it's common practice. You know, with each of my three kids, I made them go to the Schwab office, fill out the paperwork, talk to the financial consultant, and you know about uh, uh, investing and you know and and saving and and how to do it. And and, and uh, this little sidebar thing, Wes. Not that you asked me this, but since you have me here, I've that, lucky to have you here. Yeah, that that parents. Um, it's their 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 a potential big help for young people getting out on the right track, and but unfortunately, what we have found from our research is that parents talk to their sons differently than their daughters. Mm. Well, I was going to ask you about women investing versus 
men. That's another topic you talk about. So yeah, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah. So, so, um, I know it's, it's not conscious, but, but with your sons, we talk about, uh, stock market and debt. And those are really critical skills to building wealth with daughters. We talk about savings, budgeting and household expenditures. And so what we see in our research, we just conducted a, a survey recently among 16 to 25-year-olds, and twice as many of these young men had investment accounts than the young women. So, so going back to women and money, you know, parents are perpe- um, perpetuating stereotypes about how, you know, how we manage money and become comfortable with it. And as we talked about earlier, um, saving for retirement is our sole responsibility. No one else is there to do it for us. So we need everybody, every American taught the basics of financial literacy. And that's, of course, why I'm also a big advocate in getting it in every school in America. It's a great equalizer for everybody. Yeah, I wonder about your program for the Boys and Girls Club. Why is that not a curriculum, right, in in schools? Or is it already? It's um, a curriculum in 22 states. So we've still got a few more to go. Um, the best in class financial literacy programs are standalone. You know, and they're not embedded in something else. So they really go through the full, you know, the full course. And they uh, do that in, in these public schools or private or kind of a mix? Uh, public, public schools. Because uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the, these are sta- state mandates. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for high school requirement or, you know, within the, you know, what do you call the educational standards of what the kids are supposed to learn. But like I said, every state is a little bit different. And I personally like the more strict ones standalone. They have opportunity to teach the teachers because a lot of teachers weren't taught, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of them, no one was taught because we've never had it in the schools and families don't really talk about it and pensions are going away. So, you know, we've got, we've got to come at it in every which way, you know, we've got, we need the schools to teach. We need Wes Moss to have his podcast. You know, we need Carrie to do her programs with boys and girls club and and, and other organizations. We also do something with donorschoose.org, which I think your uh, listeners might be interested in. Uh, That's a a crowdsourcing organization. They they raise a hundred million dollars for teacher requests around the country in every public school in America. So we pay for half of every request for financial literacy for a financial literacy activity. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Well, I you know the other thing too. I love that the thought about the the survey you guys just did about how we talk to boys versus girls. Mm-hmm. What a, I've never seen that before. That is cool. All right, last question. You know, again, I, I knowing you well, I know this is like pursuit of life. You're, you're going to keep going. I get to, yeah. That's how I would imagine, and, it, and yeah. this is your purpose. You could obviously probably retire a long time ago, and you chose not to. No, but, and that's because I, I, um, I have the best of all worlds mm-hmm. because I can, um, I can have impact on society in my job. And I work for corporate America, so I can make a big difference for the company. Uh, I, I can use my business skills toward, um, you know, creating greater impact. So I, and, you know, and also just a little sidebar thing, I not only, you know, do I involve, engage in philanthropy and then corporate America, but I also have raised my hands to volunteer uh, civically. You know, I was uh, served under, well, President Obama and President Bush under their financial literacy 
U.S. President's Council on Financial Literacy. But then after those um, were no longer in existence, I raised my hand in San Francisco and, um, to be a volunteer of some sort. And at the time, Mayor Ed Lee put me on the commission on the status of women. So that was another way for me to sort of grow as an individual you know, and professionally and to learn more and, and just be more engaged. And I, and I met so many new different people that I never would have uh, met before. So I'm, I'm always looking for new opportunities to um, expand my world. And, and that's what I would tell anybody who's um, thinking about retiring. But I, I just took up golf. You just took up golf? I know. My dad is so mad about it. I mean, he's laughing. He's like, finally. But um, yeah, I finally, I find, well, with the pandemic and stuff and my kids got into it. So it was a great way yeah. to spend time with them. Being outside. It was a savior. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. start golf until I was 39, almost 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's been a little while now and it is, I, I've had an amazing amount of fun with golf and it was great through COVID, obviously, too, yeah. being outside. Yeah. So yeah. The, uh, well, I would say that I always think of when I, if somebody asked me about Carrie Schwab, I think of delightful and mm-hmm. uh, impactful uh, oh, for Carrie you. Schwab Pomerantz. And thank you for coming back to, to spend some time with me and being one of the early guests on the Retire Sooner podcast that hopefully a million people a week listen. I think it'll take a little while to get there. But our goal, by the way, is to help a million people retire one year sooner. Oh, there you go. That's great. Either way, whether they retire early or not, you're giving people the information to be financially secure and have the life that they want. And that's ultimately what you and I are trying to do is have, you know, provide security and happiness for people. Well, thank you for being on the show. And I I cannot wait to talk to you again. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.